What's up, traders? Anthony Cardelli here, and thanks for tuning into this live stream of the Futures Radio Show podcast. If you're watching on Twitter, please give us a retweet. And if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of the Futures Radio Show podcast. Today, I'm really excited about today's guest. He's one of the very first traders I followed to learn more about Bitcoin. His name is Ryan Clark. We're going to chat about Bitcoin, Ethereum. I'm going to pick his brain on NFTs and one NFT in particular because Ryan loves horses. Several months ago, I started investing in an NFT digital horse racing uh, called Z.Run. And I want to see what Ryan thinks about that. But before we get into all of that, I want to remind all of you about Micro Treasury Futures. They're now live and I'm actively looking at on my charts what yields are doing. And I think a lot of you should as well. If you follow any of the macro people that I do, they're always talking about yields. That's why I love these Micro Treasury Yield Futures. If you want to learn more about Micro Treasury Yield Futures, go to cmegroup.com. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, Trading Technologies, Trade Station, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol RTY and Micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Ryan, hey. what's up? What's up, How's my man? Good, Thanks buddy. for having me. I'm so glad to speak with you. Like I said in my intro, you're one of the very first people that I followed to talk about uh, that was talking about Bitcoin. I don't know how many years ago that was, but you're, you're one of the very first. I mean, what, what got you even started in Bitcoin? That's very flattering. Um, what got me started in Bitcoin is actually a friend of mine who also came from the traditional space uh, back in 2017, introduced me to crypto. And I didn't really have the time to dedicate to trading um, as I do now, obviously. But it piqued my interest just enough to take a position. Um, I bought some Bitcoin. I bought some Ethereum uh, and, you know, enjoyed most of the run up from just over a thousand. So we broke out of the old range, uh, but still I was very passive. Wow. I was very passive. Um, I didn't I didn't actively trade it at all like I do now. I mean, now it is it is my primary focus, uh, but you know, it's it's an incredible market. It's um, constantly changing. It has, in my opinion, it's got a great liquidity profile. If you're a trader, you know, if you're an intraday trader, um, it's technically driven. So, you know, it's not like I think ultimately it's moving towards being like traditional assets where you have a lot more um, dynamics at play. But for the most part, it is primarily technically driven. So price is value. Um, and I've, I've been here for the last four years and I have no intention of uh, going back and backtracking, going back to trading the ES or, or crude. <laughs> I still I still do both. I mean, Bitcoin for me, I, you know, it's funny. I really trade mostly Ethereum and we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but I want to stay on the Bitcoin. I, I, I agree with you on how technical Bitcoin trades uh I, like I said, I'm trading more Ethereum. I even think Ethereum trades even technically even better, at least at my stuff. You know, it's always a personal preference on whatever you're looking at technical base. But so to all the people out there that are trading futures or these other markets, whatever it is that they're trading, you've made that full move over to Bitcoin. And you say mostly because it's you think that it responds well to technicals. What technicals are you looking at um, while you're trading Bitcoin? All right. So my trading, I, I'm primarily a, a profile and order flow trader. So I'd say 90% of my trading is intraday. And I really prefer that. Honestly, I like to close out and, and get into, uh, I'm a USD maximalist. <laughs> um, I don't, um, I don't romanticize it, I guess, as much as everybody else. I think at this stage of my life, when you have a mortgage and you have uh, a lot of things to pay for, I'm going to prioritize um, US state. But uh, as far as technicals go, it's a technically driven asset. And I say that it's, it's, it's price driven, right? So price is value. You know, if, if Apple falls 20%, you're going to have a lot of people get in the way on the way down, right? You'll have high frequency trade, high frequency traders step in, you'll have, you know, value investors step in, you'll have uh, CTA step in, uh, and sort of dampen volatility in crypto, you don't really have that. It's it's very it respects technical levels in a very clean way that I don't think you see in traditional markets. 
Um, so that is to me, that's, that's incredible that a market still behaves like that. Um, so if you're a, you know, if you're a, a technical trader, I think that this is, as I've said before, it's like the easier poker table to play at, you know, compared to trading, like if you're intraday trading the ES and, and you know, that's your first market, like good luck, you know, if, if it's, it's completely different animal. Um, so I primarily pay attention to, you know, I want to be able to define, you know, who is in control very quickly. Um, obviously the most important things to me are, you know, where we sit with relation to major, you know, inflection points. Some people call them contextual levels. Uh, these areas where a lot of participation will come into the market. So I'm trading around these levels in the higher time frame. you know, trading around them on the lower time frame. Uh, my scalping primarily is with is is focused on where value is developing. You know, one of the um, market profile gods, Jim Dalton, talks about this. He's been on your stream. He's been on your podcast, I think, countless times at this point. Uh, being able to de to define where value is developing, where price is being accepted, where it's being rejected, and honestly, stay out of the market for the most part where price is being accepted. Right. I only really want to get involved. Um, at those major levels where, like I said, we see a lot of participation come into the market, right? So the all-time high was a good example, right? You know, all-time high is, it's an area where you should see a ton of participation come into the market. If you were a swing trader or a position trader, you didn't see the kind of participation that you would like to see. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like short-term more bearish than I am bullish on BTC. Um, I hope I didn't go off on a tangent too much because I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> no, no, I'm listening. I'm writing notes down as you're doing this. And there's, I, I have a couple of questions already about the things that you already talked about. A couple of things is number one, you're saying that you're trading intraday and you're using profile and order flow. I honestly don't think I know really anyone that I've spoken to that's looking at it through that lens. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the people that I've spoken to about trading Bitcoin are not trading intraday but you're trading it intraday and using the same tools, like you said, like a Dalton is using and taught to trade Bitcoin. And yeah. my first thought is on that is how are you getting the, the, the right order flow uh, numbers, the data, like the S and P to me, that's the center of the universe, right? So if you're yeah. trading the ES, you, you are pretty confident that, right. That the order flow that you're getting there is, is what you're seeing, right? Right. Bitcoin, there's so many different places pulling it um, where you're getting the order flow. I guess I don't know how you're actually doing that. I mean, that's one of the first things I wanted to say is explain how you're where you're getting that information. Yeah. So that is definitely one of the main differences um, between, you know, crypto or if you're trading traditional futures markets is in crypto, it's it's extremely fragmented. Yes. Right? So you have to be aware of sort of what the dominant exchanges are, where most of the dominant flow is, is coming from. And a lot of what my trading involves, and for example, you know, it's the same, but scaled down on the higher timeframes as it is on the lower timeframes, you know, identifying positioning, um, who is again, who is in control, where the markets, you know, these same Dalton concepts, where the, where the market's trying to go, the amount of effort that's coming in. I'm a lot of the times when I'm position trading and swing trading, and I'll get back down to the uh, intraday, I'm focusing on things like the financing, right? So paying attention to, for one example, I'll give you is, is Bybit. So Bybit is a derivative exchange, right? So their popular product is their perpetual swap. Uh, they have a coin margin perpetual swap and they have a USDT margin perpetual swap. And, you know, what what I'll focus on is at a significant level, at again a, a major turning point for the market, um, who is sort of taking the lead, right? If we break above the all-time high and, and like we've we've had the last couple of days, and it's purely futures driven, right? And I see, for example, that there is you know a ridiculous basis as there was between something like a Bybit perp and something like Coinbase spot market. Well that's definitely an area where I want to de-risk and not really be involved in the long side of things anymore. Um, on the intraday, a lot of it is focusing on perp flow. So what I'll be doing is again, sort of defining what my 
important levels are for the day, right? The areas where I think, you know, again, where, again, participation should come into the market where I'll look for either acceptance through the level or absorption at the level. Uh, and then I'm looking for how, for example, the perp markets, so in this case, Bybit, uh, is behaving at that level, right? I'll be focusing on also how the spot market is behaving as well. And ideally, what you want to see is you don't want to see, unless you're through a level and it's sort of like you're off to the races uh, and you're momentum driven, you don't want to see that the perp market or the perpetual swaps rather um, are trading well above and beyond the spot market. Uh, and a lot of the times my lower time frame trades will involve me seeing certain behavior on the tape or certain behavior on the footprint that I know is not going to lead to immediate continuation before being punished in the short term. Uh, so there's just some things you could look for uh, on, for example, Bybit. Uh, you could look for it on BitMEX as well. So it is kind of like you're managing a lot of different flows, which is definitely a pain in the butt. Um, but there's certain behaviors that you could just see consistently, right? You see that there's this pattern of when a certain amount of volume comes through the tape uh, and price is just consistently stalling at the same level, well, you're probably going to see that that unwinds. And, and, you know, you could look for at that point, you're looking for 100 basis points or 150 basis points and your business is done. And that happens all the time. So, you know, that is, that's something that I am trading more whenever there's a lot of momentum in the market because constantly someone is getting offsides in the short term on the lower timeframes. Um, my intraday trading when we were not momentum driven, like I want to say right now, we're not momentum driven is I would say it's like intraday swing trading. So I'm looking for areas where I could really cleanly define risk. Um, I'm looking for, again, the signs and semblance of some type of spot support in this case. And I don't think we necessarily have it. Uh, and I'm sort of swing trading within um, our local structure from sort of one sticky point to the next. What I find interesting about this is that there's layers to this. It's there's, there's a lot of homework because, yeah. you know, we saw Pat Rooney put one of the comments in there, you know, order flow and crypto. That's a tough one due to the large number of exchanges. It was exactly my first thought when you said that I'm thinking to myself, okay, I totally understand how all the S and P, you know, NASDAQ traders do it. And I used to do it years ago with the S and P. And now I'm seeing and understanding more of how you do it. I think some people may or may not even know what perp futures are, the perpetual futures. And what I have found interesting about them is that I have found that they are obviously a big reason where you see a lot of this, the, the extreme volatility because of the over leveraged, you know, and, and I, I don't really know exactly how it works in terms of how it, how much it impacts spot. I mean, this is not something I've put too much time into knowing I only trade spot, but or I trade futures, like I'll trade Bitcoin or ETH futures. Yeah. But how much of like the per perpetual futures that like, you know, on some of these exchanges spills over into the, the, the spot? Because I, I always look at it as like the, the per futures people are using leverage because they don't have, I don't want to say have the capital to trade the spot, but they're, they're, they just have such weaker hands, but how much does that get absorbed by the spot? Like, are, are the perpetual futures actually pushing the spot, or if the spot's not moving and the and the perpetual futures are blowing through a price, do they come back to spot? I guess I'm I'm curious about that relationship. So, with with the perpetual swaps, there's two different types. There's coin margined, which means you know essentially you're putting up Bitcoin to open the position, so you're collateralized in the underlying asset, and then there's USDT which is closer to, you know, linear futures contracts, trading traditional instruments. Okay. Um, the problem with perpetual swaps that are coin margined is you deal with the convexity aspect, the negative convexity aspect in that if you're long, for example, it's a different profile, return profile than if you're short. Um, because for example, if you're in a long position, now when you're in a perpetual swap period, a lot of times if you're using high leverage, your position is very path dependent. So, you know, this is one of the benefits of, of ideally if options market matures more is options are not path dependent. Like you don't have to worry about liquidation with options. If you have an idea that, you know, Bitcoin's going to trade over hundred K by such and such expiry, you don't have to worry about the path it took to get there. Whereas futures, and this is a big part of my trading, they, um, they create a lot of pain points or pressure points within the market. And 
the perpetual swaps, they tend to get really messy, the coin margin ones, because if you're long an inverse perpet, if you're long a coin margin swap um, and you're margined in your underlying Bitcoin, if the position is going against you, not only are you losing PL from that position moving adversely, but the margin that you're putting up for the position is also decreasing in value as well. So it becomes a very, you know, you see these sort of cascading liquidations, these massive sell-offs when the open interest really builds up um, in that particular product. Now the market is, is it's, it's kind of going more towards, I think what it ultimately will be anywhere where it's like less things are denominated in BTC and the BTC margin products are less popular. Um, and it's mostly going to be USD, you know, USD margin products or USDT, some type of stable, stable coin. Um, but what, what you ultimately see is that the leverage that builds up and you could look at, there's a couple things you could look at that are helpful. One of them is open interest to market cap ratio. So, you know, what I'll look at is for example, you could just imagine, let's say Bitcoin makes on the high time frame within, you know, a week, you know, intra-week makes an equal high, right? Sort of double top. But for that second high, the open interest has gone up sort of twice the amount. Well, that's clearly showing there's a lot of participation that's come in, a lot of new business. It's led to no result. Um, a lot of times this leads to sort of short-term shakeouts. And what you see is that when the market gets very overextended and sort of momentum traders have come in and, and have been doing most of the work and perpetuals are leading and the spot market is kind of dragging behind. Um, traders are privy to the fact that this, that the futures market does not move the spot market except for, for the short term. So this, this futures market's not going to carry us to new all time highs. It has to be through the spot market. Um, you get short term, you know, short term volatility and, and, and a lot of, you know, what is good action to trade because of the imbalances that occur in the futures market. But if the spot market is not doing most of the carrying, the futures market is only going to take us so far. And it's actually those times when there's a lot of really good opportunity that sets up um, just because it happens to be that after, you know, when we have a, a large increase in open interest and we have a lot of these very weak handed sensitive positions um, that after you have a, a large amount of liquidations and a lot of these players are taken out, there's a lot of really good opportunity that sets up in the short term. You know, what happens is, for example, when you have like a very large liquidation and you have the liquidation engine getting rid of a lot of these positions and you have a lot of this excess taken out, it creates these very imbalanced situations in the market where there's kind of these vacuums and it's very easy for you to capture uh, a move that is sort of counter trend to that in a matter of minutes that can make, you know, your week or month or quarter or year even. Um, and those are kind of prime opportunities to be in the market actually after there's a big wipeout because the futures market again has just kind of gotten way ahead of itself um, and, and tried to do most of the work that the spot market needs to do. So there's a lot to, to focus on if you're coming from traditional markets to crypto because you have all these weird relationships and they're all spread apart. I mean, that's just, this is really, a big time education for me. I mean, I really focus mostly on the spots. I use the futures really to offset sometimes, you know, my positions in spot. That's why I like the futures. Uh, and if I want to trade intraday, if we're really near a risk price, I just go to like, you know, I, I love the new micro Bitcoin futures. I think they're a great tool, you know, ETH futures uh, as well, because in those moments for an intraday trade, I like the, the futures to be able to take advantage of price action. But the one thing that I'm, what I find interesting about this is this, I, I always knew it was a big web, right? But like, there is so many things pushing and pulling in, in the Bitcoin world that I, I'm really interested in how you're taking, you're finding these little nuance areas and you're putting them in place for edge and you're, you're taking it and narrowing it down from even like what you're seeing on the bigger picture stuff to the super short term, not super short term, we'll say, but intraday, I think still obviously pretty short term to take advantage of that using tools that are traditional to, like we said, the main financial markets that the, where I'm all used to trading and a lot of traders I know use to something that it's like you said, so fragmented. I wanna hone in a little bit on it. I mean, I know we're gonna go to the charts at some point, but basically summarize if you could, because I think we talked about a lot about your process from what you're looking at 
to eventually getting down and where you're actually finding edge intraday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, mo I, I try to say that from the outset, I'm a generalist. So this market is one where you want to be able to sort of play from multiple positions. Uh, but again, 90% of my trading is the intraday. And the first things that I'll do is immediately try to identify the major points in the market where, again, where I said a lot of participation will come in. Um, these are areas that are almost all the time, if it's a first pullback to them or first retest to them after a significant amount of time, they're going to offer a meaningful response. And for an intraday trader, like I think the benefit of coming from trading traditional markets is that you are not like swinging for the fence on every trade. So at a significant level, you know, if we're returning to a significant level that again has been a market structure defining level, a one to 2% move off of that level is nothing to take for granted, right? It's an awesome, that's a, it's a great opportunity if you could just say that at nine times out of 10, it's going to arrive. Um, so I'm mapping all the, the main levels that again, I think, we'll see a lot of participation at. And, and the participation can be, as I said, it can be voluntary. So it could be, you know, a major daily or weekly level, right? Or it can be involuntary positioning or, or participation from stops being blown out, liquidations occurring and so forth. So immediately I want to have an idea of where we sit with relation to these levels, right? A lot of times, like I, I catch a lot of flack on Twitter because, you know, if we're second time around to a, the all-time high, for example, I'll always say like, listen, this level is contextually a better level if, it, if we lived in a vacuum to short because your risk is so much easier to find being the proximity, you know, considering the proximity we have to this level. So I always want to know where the major levels are. Um, when we're, you know, when we're just ranging like we are and we're accepted, uh, that's probably an area where I'm not going to try to be involved as much. I'm always looking to get involved at the extremes. A lot of problems, I think, arise, um, and I, I always kind of feel like I speak to new traders because crypto Twitter is so full of just first-time market, first-time traders. A lot of problems arise when you think that you always have to be in the market where it currently is rather than sort of identifying where you want to get in. Um, so when we're ranging and we're stuck within, you know, multi-day composite, which is now it's like multi-week composite between, it was between 60 and 64, I only really want to get involved at the extremes. Uh, and that might mean buying higher. That might be, you know, waiting for price to drop down another few thousand dollars um, because where price is accepted, it is. It's just it's like very easy to get flat footed. It's very accepting of prices. And, and I try to like stress that and personify it because I want to be involved where things get very imbalanced and out of whack. So knowing where these levels are is really important. Um, always want to have an idea from the outset what the financing costs are, what the sort of, again, that funding or interest rate component is um, because then at that point I could at least prioritize, you know, one side of positioning over the other, you know, for example, not all trades occur in a vacuum. So there might come a point when we're approaching a level that might be a support that I would normally want to get involved in, but it's like the fourth time around and this time, you know, funding is 10 basis points it might be a support that's better off selling at that point. And I should probably look for the signs of a breakdown rather than, you know, signs of absorption for some type of play off of it. Um, and then most of my, I think most of my, my experience or, or rather the, um, the bulk of my performance in the market has come from just after this, watching how the market behaves at those levels, right? So identifying where those levels are, it might mean setting alerts and putting my Apple iWatch on and not coming back to the chart until we're sort of within a window where I want to get involved. Uh, and then watching what the flow of price behavior is around those levels. And from that, I'll use the footprint, um, which is not something I'll focus too much on. Like it doesn't define, it doesn't define all my positions. So it's not like, oh, I have to have this behavior on the footprint show up and then I'll take a position. It's sort of the cherry on top a lot of times when there's a lot of momentum in the market. Sometimes it is very useful uh, for sort of short term imbalance setups that do occur. Um, but around the levels, a lot of times I'm just looking at the tape. And I know that that might sound kind of funny to some people because looking at the tape is like an old thing, uh, especially when you have a footprint because footprint's like a memory of the tape. Right. But I have the futures market tape and the spot market tape separated. So this way, when we're approaching a level, I sort of get a feel for who is 
who is really picking up speed around that level, right? And of course, it, you know, if there's effort coming in, I want to see that it's leading to some type of result. You know, the, one of the worst things to see is, is a ton of effort come into the market and you have no result. And it's kind of like what we have right now above this all-time high. You have like these two cascading failures, you get a bunch of effort come in, futures market trading, you know, the, few, the funding is 10 basis points above this, you know, funding is, excuse me, 10 basis points above what neutral would normally be, you know, futures are trading at a pretty high premium. It's a lot of effort that's come in. It's not leading to any results. Someone's definitely, someone's flat footed at that point. Someone's going to be, you know, in pain if the market starts ticking one, 2% away from where most of that um, Delta was put on. Total education on this today. And I'm, I'm looking at it from somebody who's really honing in and, and trading this every day. And what I find so crazy about especially talking to someone like you who's trading bitcoin like this and i know there's the community of bitcoin traders has grown unbelievably uh, is that bitcoin was this initial thing that was was it a commodity is it a currency and all this and, and it really and i know that everyone these bitcoin people that just are you know bitcoin diehards are going to say <laughs> you know it's uh it's all these things it's changing the world and all this but for the majority of the people that I talk with at this point, right? And I know that the future is going to change things. I, I, I'm a believer in Bitcoin. It's a trading product. I mean, it, it really, there's so many people trading it that it's, it, we're trading price action. And I don't know, and I want to take this to, you know, to the next part of Bitcoin is, are you using it in any other way? Right? So, I mean, you're just trading Bitcoin. Uh, um, are you someone who looks at it? and says, I'm, I'm accumulating it because I believe it has this big use case down the road. So, I, I mean, like I, I try not to romanticize it too much. I definitely can see the place for it now with what has occurred in the last two years, but I don't think it plays. So the benefit of Bitcoin is that it's a technically driven asset that is kind of like a chameleon at times. Like it could be you know, it could be, depending on what the narrative is, it could be a risk off asset. You know, now it's a risk off asset. Um, when the markets are moving up, it's a high beta version of tech stocks. You know, it's like a higher beta. Um, I always say Bitcoin's like a higher, it's like a higher beta tech stock. It trades like a tech stock. It trades like crude oil, honestly. Um, but I, I try not to get too captivated by it. I own spot Bitcoin. I think that the market is going to, grind up over time. I think it's a, it's going to behave more like sort of equity indices. Um, and I, I try to really simplify. This is the trouble with Bitcoin is it's trouble. To, it's, it's difficult to sort of balance the long-term investment thesis um, that you might have, which is long only, and then trade around that and not have one influence the other. Um, you know, it's it, it, at this point in my life, it's difficult from just a mental bandwidth standpoint to try to balance all of that. Uh, I think Bitcoin is, you know, personally I'm invested in Bitcoin spot. I have, you know, cold wallet with spot um, that I'm, again, I, I rebuilt a position that I got out of. Um, and I see it as, you know, very simply, how many times do you get to invest in a new asset class? Like most people weren't around for the beginning of, you know, uh, of stocks, of commodities, very once in a lifetime chance that you'll get to be involved around the time a new asset class comes out. So the way I look at it now is it's, you know, when when boomers pass on and their, their inheritance passes on to their children, uh, gold is just kind of, it's not as favored by this generation as it was a previous. And I just think that Bitcoin is going to accrue a certain amount of value passively from that alone. Um, so I definitely see long-term it going up unless there's some type of catastrophic failure. Um, and I, I do own Bitcoin also because I think it is a good, you know, it's kind of a good call option on if everything went south and it was the one thing that people suddenly start adopting in mass um, that I would want to own a piece of that. Even if, you know, I think it's, it's, I think that even if you're like a portfolio manager, that you are sort of obligated to make decisions based on that type of framework and think, well, even if I don't believe in this on the off chance that it, 
it does succeed, you know, it's going to work out asymmetrically to the upside. I have to have a piece of that. So I, I do definitely buy into, um, buy into it based on sort of that framework. A lot of the other cryptos, I don't, I think they're, I think that they're trading vehicles, uh, way more than Bitcoin is. And Bitcoin definitely is primarily it's a trading vehicle, but I think that it's going to be around for the long run. And, and, you know, it's, it's a number one performing asset, like almost nine out of the last 10 years, I want to say. So when it comes to that, yeah, but when it comes to big, uh, everything else, I'm, I'm definitely uh, very cynical and skeptical and doubtful. I agree a lot with what you said. And the one good thing for Bitcoin and the Bitcoiners out there is that what the trading community has done is it's opened the doors to so many people getting access to it, getting getting used to talking about it, trading in it, and just getting that feel of being in and out of it. And what that brings down the road, yeah, I'm not somebody who would be an expert to say as to what that would be, but I feel the same way as that. I own Bitcoin. I trade ETH more because I, I like the way that ETH trades better. And I'm actually, something else that you said was, I think is really important is that I'm bullish ETH on the big picture, like, like you're bullish Bitcoin and I am bullish that as well. But trading around that, you know, like the other day I dumped some of my ETH and I just like, I'm thinking about it going, you know, I have a big core position that I've been having and I, I buy it when it breaks and then it gets up and uh, cause I'm not a hodler because I feel in order for me to yeah. accumulate more of it, I have to sell at some point to be able to buy some back cheaper. Cause yeah. I'm not going to just keep buying it, holding it and then just keep adding cash to it. Right. So that's why I don't agree with the hodling side of things. So I have a core position of ETH that we're when it goes up to certain prices, you know, like back back up here, I remember last time I didn't sell them when it was up around the 4,000 plus area, I ended up selling a thousand points lower. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. too thrilled about that, but um, I it was at the time it ended up being the right move. But I have really gotten accustomed because look at, I am bullish this to be able to trade around it and to accumulate it. And we're going to take a quick break, but I want you to think about, oh, I want to talk about ETH, what your thoughts are on ETH next. And I want to talk about NFTs. And one of the things I didn't tell you we were going to talk about it, but I put it in the show was Z.Run. Have you heard about Z.Run? Yeah, I have. Okay. Of course. So, yeah, yeah I'm a horse guy, everybody. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, you know, and I started investing in Z.Run um, close to about six months ago. And I just think it's, you know, it changed my whole thinking about NFTs. So, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to talk about ETH, NFTs. And we're going to go to the charts with Ryan to see what he thinks about Bitcoin. Be right back. Replace your exchange with TradeStation Crypto. Dealing with multiple exchanges is complicated and it takes time, except with TradeStation Crypto. Because we are not an exchange. We are a broker. You have access to multiple pools of liquidity. All in one platform, in one account, one way. Trade crypto your way. Plus, earn interest on your eligible cryptocurrencies. Get started in one click. Trade the global markets with trading technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. Okay, Ryan, why is Bitcoin your choice over Ethereum, ETH? I wish I had like a really well thought out answer for this, but honestly, I think a lot of it is just familiarity. Um, getting familiar with looking at certain order sizes in the tape, familiar with platforms that are connected to some of the tools that I use, uh, and I've just stuck with it. Um, I only honestly, you know, you said that uh, that you really like trading ETH because it's clean, I think. Um, yes. I only started really aggressively trading ETH, like in the last couple of months, I was like picking up positional swing trades, very systematic, um, trend following, that's it. But only the last couple of months, I've really kind of stepped into trying to trade ETH order flow and, and sort of take the same approach with BT as I do with BTC. Uh, but I think honestly, it's just familiarity. Like I, one thing that I've been really big about my entire trading career um, is focusing on just one asset, right? Like it's a dance partner, you know, getting used to one asset, not focusing on necessarily a strategy or an approach, but one market, 
Um, and honestly, that's just become Bitcoin. And and again, I wish I had a better answer, but it's familiarity and it's just mental bandwidth at this point in my life. Um, I I hate managing multiple positions. I hate the whole. I mean, I love it. I love everything that goes on when this market has like that back end energy and momentum behind it. But it pulls me out of my comfort zone because I am. I try to be as you know not scientific because I think it's like science and an art um, with my trading with Bitcoin. That when I start getting out of that and getting into other things, I find that it just dilutes my my main I guess bread and butter. Um, so I don't, I, I try at this stage of my life, I try to stick in my lane. That's what I'll say. No, I think it's a great answer. And I'm similar in my approach as well. I feel my relationship with ETH is, is just better for me. I mean, it, it reminds me more of the S and P like Bitcoin reminds me a lot of the NASDAQ, the way it moves, like the, the, the huge point swings that are not huge on percentage swings yeah. really screw with me. Uh, you know, I, I like the, just the way that ETH. Um, reacts to my technical analysis. I also look at ETH on the bigger picture with the ecosystem it's building. And I like yeah. to buy other ones that are connected to ETH. So for my crypto trading, you know, ETH is the one I try to get that core position in. And then I just look for stories and other things that could happen in the, in the ETH ecosystem that makes sense for me to get in. And that's what brings me nexus to NFTs. And because I started trading ETH a while back and because I've been, you know, trying to accumulate a position, why I got into NFTs, I think is, I want to share this quick story because I think it's, it's important, but I'm sure people are going to be asking me, well, why, why would I even want to do this? And what happened was I was holding uh, a bunch of ETH. And when we were up on that last run, that last time up there, and I just felt like, okay, I have this position. I keep building. I want to keep putting more into it, but I feel like I'm just so held by the price and I'm not participating and what I think it can do uh, in terms of, I don't want to say changing the world. I didn't get like some of these people, but I do, I do believe that it will. Um, so I started looking at NFTs and I was watching, you know, just really a lot of it started from Twitter and I was looking at these JPEGs or whatever they want. And I, and I didn't, I looked at that and I said, this seems a, a bit crazy to me. I, I did understand it. I didn't fight it like a lot of people did. I didn't buy any, but I looked at it and said, okay, I, I could see if you own a bunch of ETH and you want this NFT, that makes sense. You're keeping it in crypto. That's part of what my thinking was. You know, these these guys that have a bunch of ETH, they're buying some of these, these NFTs and, and they're keeping it in crypto and it, it's setting this new trend. Then I saw Zed, Zed.run. And it just changed the way I thought about so many things. I felt like I was in Tron. Did you see the movie Tron? What's it? What, what the, movie? Did you ever see the movie Tron? Tron? Tron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When I first saw Z.run, remember how like when um, the one where the guy, he goes into the game and like there's like he's a user and he comes in and he's into the game and the game is happening and they're racing. Yeah. And like I felt when I saw that, I'm thinking to myself, virtual reality is coming and oh, this yeah. is the first place I see how the crypto world is going to impact it. Like I'm in Decentraland. It's just crazy. I'm, I mean, so many people that I know that they, they think I'm nuts, but I look at this and say, I, I can visually see this. So I started to look at that and I just feel that NFTs are going to be massive. I, I mean, they're already big, but I want to stay a little bit on Z.run because you've already looked at it. I mean, what are your thoughts on NFTs and Z.run? So I have to admit, like I, I missed out on NFTs. Um, I, you know, this market, it, it, it transitions very quickly. Um, and if you're on top of how the market is rotating and what the new narrative is, like it's, you know, you could really just pull a ton out. Um, I did not stay on top of NFTs. I kind of, I, I, I completely see how they're going to change so many things. Um, you know, it, it's value creating. It's not like it's destroying value. You know, you're, when someone is, when you're buying, you know, a piece of artwork for one ETH, you know, and you're gaining something that now is is valued by the market at that, you know, you've created value. Whereas a lot of trading, you're not really necessarily creating value at all. So I missed out on NFTs. I was very late to the party, um, and I didn't really keep my, I guess, finger on the pulse. So I was just buying things that I thought were cool. 
So I have like a portfolio of NFTs that I don't even bother checking the value of them. Um, and I bought them because I think they're cool. A lot of them were horse related, but I did not, uh, I did not participate in Z.run. And this leads into a funny story. I actually, I thought I was, but I got scammed by someone who counterfeited a Z.run horse. Really? Yeah. And uh, that's the only, that's how I became privy to Z.run in the first place. Um, but at the time, like, I, I again, I was just, I was being a little bit too cynical, thinking that it was like top of the NFT cycle. And there was like another two months left after that. Obviously, you know, we're here now. But um, I, uh, everyone asks me, everyone thinks, you know, I'm the horse guy. I'm going to have some type of involvement or, or be on top of Z.run. And it's like, it couldn't be further from the truth. I, I missed out on so many things in the NFT space. Uh, I just, again, I bought things that I like. Um, I wish I could talk more about Z.run, but I honestly, I can't. Yeah. And I think you, you, you say that you feel like you missed the party for it. And I look at Zed and I look at a lot of NFTs and I feel like they're, we're just chipped away at that initial layer of like getting people in. I look at the amount of people on OpenSea and it just, it's crazy to me. I mean, I, yeah. I'm... There's so many people participating in this and already, uh, already. And what I like about the the Z dot run aspect of it is they're actually doing a tournament now where you actually got to go, you got to qualify your horses. But it's just involvement, you know. And when you look at an NFT, like I have my horse, right? That's mine. And if somebody else wants it, my horse's characteristics, they have to buy that. That there is no other one like that. And yeah. that's when it started to trigger to me, like actually owning the NFT, because there's this. There's this one TikTok video, I'm sure you've seen it, where it's like the girl goes, so you pretend you have something that's pretend, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. She goes, but you really don't have it, but then you buy it, and then now you're the only one who can pretend that you yeah. have it. And it's funny. I see so many really smart people retweeting this and saying exactly, and I'm like, no, it's so wrong. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I mean, I think like what is changing in, you know, in the last two years, so much has changed in, in markets as a whole. Um, we have like the gamification of trading that's taken place. Things that we're investing in now were not, you know, written into like your Benjamin Graham books, your, your, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Warren Buffett framework. And you really have to look at things with a completely different lens. And like you said, it's, I always say this. It's like when I watch a movie, I'm, I almost feel like every time that we watch something in the movies, 10 years later, that thing comes true. And that's just the way that everything is going when it comes to virtual reality. I mean, you have people that and I was laughing at people that were buying. And I still kind of laugh at it. Um, virtual property on the blockchain. Oh, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm, I, I'm looking to do that, actually. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. But then I saw someone bought like a virtual art gallery and then they store their NFTs in there. Yeah. And it's just what I realize is like, I, you hear these cliches your entire life. You hear these things within markets, especially, you know, you have to keep an open mind. You have to understand that all things evolve and change. And, and while I'm repeating that to myself, I'm also still judging these new things with like this old, old way of, of, I guess, um, valuing, things in a market. I'm saying, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. And it's like, okay, well, I'll, you know, what happens in markets, for example, with Bitcoin is for like five years, people say, oh, that's really ridiculous. And that's why early users are compensated so much because they bared the risk that no one else is willing to bear. Even if it's, if it's not monetary, it's, you know, they're getting made fun of um, and they reap the rewards down the line. So I'm trying to keep more of an open mind with a lot of this metaverse stuff. Um, and I'm trying not to just be a trader. I'm trying to see again, how things can really change because the things that people have spent money on the last six months absolutely blow my mind. It I mean, does, I, it? <laughs> I bought an NFT and I spent like an exorbitant amount of money on this. that's just lost. And it was of a moon and it was a moon plot. And, um, you know, they, they had a, a rendering of the moon and it was, it was broken down into segments and everybody could buy a plot on it. And, you know, your plot's the only plot. And, you know, I'm looking at the plots and I'm, I'm like, all right, let me get a plot that has, is there a plot that has some type of, it's like the, I think it's the Mare, which is the sea of the moon. So the, the indentations where you know, the moon was struck 
I want one with a nice um, crater. So I'm starting to like try to find characteristics that I think would be more rare than just one part of the moon that has nothing going on. Uh, and I bought this moon and um, I bought it like right at the top of the moon hype peak because it's, it's halved in value since then. Um, but I would have never saw myself doing that months prior. I would have just, I would have been blown away by, you know, my future self having done that. Uh, but like I said, I bought a bunch of NFTs actually since then. And I, I've just started to buy things that I like. Um, because if they don't go up in value, you know, so far I've, I've, I've actually, I bought a few, there's these things called superlatives and I'm, I, I'm not involved with them, but I just think they're so cool. They're like abstract. And I'm really, I'm into abstract art period. Um, so I bought these and I'm like, well, if they don't go up in value, which they have, I'm actually going to print them out and send them to like a local print shop. And I want to put them in my office because I think they're really cool. Um, but the way everything's going, you know, the way things have changed in the, in, obviously in this landscape in the last six months just blows my mind. And this is like a, I feel like it's a younger person's game because I can't keep up with it. <laughs> well, you know what? I look at it like this. Okay. I remember coming from the pit and I remember going to be one of the first electronic traders on the floor of CME and everybody thought I was crazy. Like, what are you doing there? We're making millions of dollars over here. Yeah. And here's this guy who's going over there who's losing. And I looked at it and said, but this is the future. And at the time, I think as traders, we could all relate to this. If you think whatever is working now is going to work forever or is going yeah. to be forever, you're kidding yourself. A big right. part of what we do is change, adapt. We, we allow ourselves to take the path of least resistance. That's what we look at. Yeah. One of my mentors, Chris Haymeyer, has been on the show before. I love the guy. I think he's fantastic. I've learned so much from him. He told me, he's like, Anthony, the one thing I always, I said to him in a conversation, I said, Chris, you're always ahead of the curve. He was backing electronic traders in the 90s on Eurex when he was at the CBOT, the CME, or uh, yeah, Eurex. And nobody was trading electronically then. And that's why I had met him and heard about him. And then I met him years later uh, talking about how he was getting into, you know, HFTs and all these other things where everybody along the way fights these things, right? Yeah. Now HFTs are just a normal thing. But you remember when HFTs, high frequency trading was like, oh gosh, yeah. uh, why would you want to do that? You know, right. um, or why, you know, why would you want to create an algorithm or all these different things? And now they're just, they're mainstream. He told me that he goes, I'm not ahead of the curve. He goes, but I recognize when people with money or people that are smarter than me, and I think he's one of the smartest guys out there. He goes, and they're getting in a line. He goes, I'm probably being in line behind them. He said yeah. it better than I did, but I understand that. And I look at these things and it's like, what's happening? And I go, there's a huge amount of line. I mean, you look at like DRW. I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard of them. Yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, Don Wilson from the yeah. floor. I mean, the guy's, right. I mean, he look how big he is in, in crypto now. You look at yeah. all of these different people and I'm on, if they're in it, I mean, Chris Haymeyer, he's all in crypto now. Um, yeah. You know, I think that crypto and futures, at least, you know, in my world, it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot. I think crypto space has done huge things for, for futures. I know that even for me, I'm trading products and futures like the, the micro Bitcoin and the um, ETH futures now that uh, I, I wouldn't have even thought about. You know, obviously they weren't created too long ago, but all because of crypto that I look at NFTs and say, why do I want to fight this and embrace it? And, you know, it's just, it's a risk trade just like anything else. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, there's something to be said for throwing your hat over the fence and just going after it. You know, why do people feel, I mean, I feel like everybody wants to fight everything that that's happening. And I think this just goes back to the trader mentality of, we don't want to fight things. We don't want to fight trends. I mean, I think about you and what you're doing with your strategy. And what I find so interesting about it is that you you've taken, I mean, it's, it sounded complex to me initially. And as you laid it out there, I understood more and more of what you're doing. And you're taking some some skills that you have from prior to trading these, these crypto markets, putting it together and finding ways um, to create edge and to find a ways to, to make money in this business. Yeah. I, you know, it sounds complicated. And I, I feel like when you explain certain things, to, when you explain, for example, your approach um, to someone else, they think of it in very just the mechanics of it, but it always all breaks down to just time in the market, you know, just literally obsessing and watching the market for an exorbitant amount of hours throughout the week 
Um, and putting all that stuff together that sounds very separate and, and complex when you break it down um, from sort of a top-down view. But to me, it doesn't feel, you know, complicated at all. It just feels like, oh, I'm picking up on, you know, the general flow of the market. You know, is it moving fast? Is it moving slow? Do we have a narrative? Are we around a significant level? You know, um, and to speak to the point about like evolving and, and taking risks and going with new things, a lot of people don't want to evolve. Obviously, you want to go back to just HFT days, like put a lot of people out of business, right? A lot of people's jobs are contingent on certain things staying the way they are and staying the same. So I, I guess that's also another reason to not marry any kind of approach. It's also a reason to not marry, I guess, an asset also uh, on top of that is because totally. things are going to change. And you really want to be, you want to be someone who can play multiple positions if you're forced to. Um, and I think that you gain that and you pick up on nuance and you're able to pick up on all these details very quickly only when you've had like over a decade of doing this stuff. Yeah. You know? And even then, like I've been trading now for 15 years. Like I, I, I'm always blown away. I always feel like I just got really good a year ago, you know, and, and you're learning so much and you never really arrive anywhere. It's constantly like the market's humbling you, you get your butt kicked, you learn something, you thought you learned it, you know, and, and you're just hopefully evolving and staying alive. Right. And never, never losing all your chips. So, well, I mean, this is why so many floor traders struggled to go to electronic because they didn't want to take the step back that they're, they're, they set expectations so high from where they were to where they are now. And I've always said, if you want to be in the business, if you want to be in any business, this is going back to what my dad said to me, figure it out. Yeah. And if, if it's something that becomes too difficult, I mean, the market gives us all the feedback that we'll ever need. When I was trading S&P as a scalper, 100 to 500 lots at a clip every single day, I was doing great until eventually I was getting my buck kicked all the time. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't working anymore. What do I have to do now? Change, do I have to change products? Do I have to change style? And you go through periods of time where it's like, one day you might be trading 100, the next day you might be trading one. If you're not okay with that, then this business is not for you. Right. You know, And that's why I'm also always looking at it because I've made money, then I've lost money. And I've made money and I'm thinking, okay, I've got it now. And then I've lost money again, doing the same thing. And you look at it and go, I've got to be able, <laughs> if something else is going and making money somewhere else yeah. and I have the capital or the means to do it and I could figure it out, then then why not do it? And then that's why right. I feel, I think that's this, it has to be a trader's mentality to exist long enough. Um, I want to add to the stream now charts. Cool. So we've got your stuff up here. I think we'll end it today with you. You know, just going over what what it is you're seeing. I mean, uh, I, I'm very interested. I've never, I, I don't want to say never, but I, I don't, I'm not sure that I have ever really looked at um, um, Bitcoin at profile. I, I've, I think I've only looked at it at charts. I might have pulled it up a time or two, but I want to see what your charts tell us. Cool. Can you see my mouse on the uh, screen? Yep. Okay. And just give me one sec. Let me see if sometimes you do a screen share. It doesn't allow for like the native drawing tool to show up on the screen share. Can you see this? The drawing where are you drawing ah so you can't see it. all right so we'll just no. follow my mouse okay <laughs> um yeah it's a separate drawing tool um so for example right now the areas where i'm i really would want to get involved and it's it's very limited because now we've had what looks like two failures uh at all-time high sort of a cascading liquidations recently um i would want to get re-involved if we're able to re-accept above 61, which happens to be above a prior composite point of control, above that daily level where we recently just, just broke down from. Uh, so get involved higher, or there's a really nice opportunity, I think, and it's probably going to piss a lot of people off, uh, to get involved below this composite going back to the sixth. So we have like a two-week range between 60 and 64. We just broke below the range. Now we're into an area where you should immediately see that the market is rejecting, right? If you're looking in any kind of strong trend, a lot of the times what we'll see is that the single prints on the way up, so the areas where the market was really imbalanced and moved through rather quickly, should be good areas to get involved for continuation. When we start accepting back within them, so you could see sort of this dark shaded area right here. 
We start accepting. Do me that. a favor. Make that. Yeah. Make it a, a little bit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Sure. Okay. That's good. So this is usually an area where if the market comes back to this, you want to see sort of the same imbalanced response that you had on the way up. Right. So you shouldn't be able to spend much time down here. It's kind of like it, it behaves like a gap. Right. So it's an area where there's not much. There wasn't much two-way trade. Market moved through rather quickly. So the longer that we spend time down in this area, the more likely I think we are to come back within a prior range. So the prior range happened to be between 56,005 and right around 53,5. So it was like a, I think it was like a, this was a seven or eight day composite. So we're looking at this structure right here. Nine times out of 10, when Bitcoin reaccepts within a range, um, it's just an area where price had been very comfortable before. Again, I say it's an area where things, it's ripe with liquidity, but it's very easy to get flat footed. Nine times out of 10, when we accept back within a range, we're just going to traverse the range in the same fashion we did prior until we, until we you know, decidedly resolve at either range extreme again. So what that means to me is if we break down from here, we might see a short-term response at 56.5, but I, I generally think that we're, we're going to just sweep the lows of the structure. So going all the way back down to a 53.5, 53.7 level. Um, that would be pretty significant because considering the amount of open interest that we've had, so off of the 40K low, price is up, I think it's like 40, 50%, um, and open interest is up, I think it's over 90%. So it was almost like a two-fold increase in open interest relative to the increase in price. So it's never really a good look because that just means there's a lot of participation that's come in, um, and it obviously hasn't led to... Uh, you know, it hasn't led to enough follow through that I normally would like to see. So if we break down lower and we start approaching the local lows that we built on the way up, it's just it's more likely that we're going to see more liquidations. So we'll see a wipe of the open interest. And I would ultimately want to get involved at the extreme lows uh, going back to this gap we had between 53.5 and, and around 51. Um, if we fell back within that range and we start to, again, break below 56.5, except back within the prior composite. I just think we're going towards that low. Upon that, you know, sweeping the low, regaining acceptance back within the composite, I'll look for the signs within price action, within order flow, um, that would lead me to normally get long off of a reclaim of support. Uh, and then from there, you know, reclaim support, I'm probably just going to be targeting again the next sticky area, which would be 55, you know, the center point where most of the risk was tagged on within that structure. So right around the point of control um, and then ultimately back at the range high, which would be 56.5 again, unless we just break up, right? If we just break up from here, if we're, if we're back above the all-time high, you know, it's sort of like in a textbook setting, you would say like, okay, if we're back above prior all-time high, you know, and we had this, this micro failure, uh, I would get long above the all-time high again, right? So let's say, for example, we break above the previous all-time high, it was like 50, and excuse me, it was like 64,999. I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, then I would I would look to get long. The problem is, again, that's like in a textbook that happens perfectly. You get a retest. In reality, you know, the market breaks back above something like 63, 64, and it's probably like at 66 before you can blink. And I would just, I would look to immediately get long on some type of um, lower time frame pullback. But where we are currently right now, it looks like we're accepting below a prior range. Again, we have been doing business within this range for the last two weeks. We had the failed um, acceptance above the all-time high that would ultimately lead to continuation in some form of new price discovery. So being that we've broken outside of a composite that we've been auctioning within for the last two weeks and, and we have not, I don't think we've found substantial footing yet. It still looks like, again, it looks like the, looks like the futures market is really... Um, Let's say they are still get they're still trying to get in with a sense of urgency that I don't see in the spot market. So where we are currently right now, I don't uh, I don't have anything honestly. I'm waiting for either price to nuke lower, or you know at least trade back within yesterday's range, at least trade back above you know something like um, yesterday's low, which would put us back above today's VWAP. Uh, until then, it, it it doesn't look attractive for me when I look at BTC couple questions. Where are you pulling this data from to get um, these these profiles? I mean, is this from like Coinbase? Uh, is this the, where are you? Because like we talked about before on 
you know, how it's fragmented. Yeah. Is, are you finding a way to get multiple data sources into one or are you just choosing one? When it comes to profile, um, you're not really going to see a difference in how the day's distribution forms if you're looking at Coinbase and you're looking at another exchange. What you will see is like, I will primarily look at, so I didn't reload this chart. This is actually supposed to be on Bybit. I'll look at Bybit's profile because I want to see the exchange has where the, the, the major tails will occur. So tails meaning, you know, a very large buying tail, very large uh, selling tail. You have all that. It, it looks like excess at the highs and lows. Um, you know, some people mistakenly refer to it as single prints, but it's just where you have this one line of TPOs. If you're on a derivatives exchange, you'll have more excess because price will wick further. So when I'm when I'm charting and using TPO, it's it's off of Bybit or right now it's on BitMEX. There's really going to be no difference. Um, you're not going to see any drastic difference between the TPO charts when you're looking at a spot exchange and a, a futures exchange. Where you do get into trouble, and this is kind of like, so going back to when TPO was developed, um, the benefit of using TPO was like at market open for a cash session, you'll have volume aberrations uh, that occur right after the open. You know, you get a ton of activity within the first hour after the open and you'll have these volume aberrations that'll show up. And if you're looking at Bitcoin and you're looking at one exchange to the next, um, you ha you'll have different volume profiles. The TPO profile should be nearly identical. So it's not really that important to get the data for the TPO from one exchange or the other. I get it from, like I said, I get it from primarily Bybit. It's on BitMEX now. I have to reload my chart. Uh, just because it'll have, you know, those selling tails or buying tails, it'll have those extremes, whereas Coinbase won't because there's, you know, there's no major wicks that are taking place on Coinbase unless it's like the weekend and it's very thin. Um, but it doesn't really matter too much when it comes to the TPO, where you get your data from. This platform is um, called ExoCharts. And that's another pain in the butt when it comes to trading crypto is like, so I used to trade through TT actually. Um, and then trading crypto, you don't have anything until recently that was a ladder that you could trade off of. And then when, when, when one would come out, you know, for example, Sierra Charts is a great platform, but they don't offer integration to the exchanges I trade. So I'll get like my charting from one platform and then I'm trading on a different platform. And again, it's all, it's very fragmented. Uh, there's only a few, there's only a few services right now that offer TPO charts and the EXO charts is probably the best. I trade through something that is completely different though. I don't trade through exo charts. I mean, that's what the thing is with, the, with crypto. Uh, when I look at the platform choices and all these different things, it's like, I'm so glad that the futures industry has gotten involved with this. I mean, TradeStation, uh, TT, to name a couple. The platforms of execution for day trading but was one of the main reasons why I'm like, I can't even day trade this as a TT user for majority of my career. It's like, you can't, once you go to one of these crypto yeah. trading platforms, I'm looking at it going, I can't even trade here. I mean, yeah. I'm just, I feel lost. You can. And uh, especially for, for me as an intraday trader, and especially when, you know, the, it's, it's weird because like when you're talking about timeframe trading, some person might say scalping is trading a 30 second chart or a tick chart. And then the next person will say their scalping means trading, you know, a five or 15 minute chart. Uh, when I'm trading and the market is moving and I'm scalping lower timeframes. And, and at that point, just looking at um, just looking at a footprint or just looking at the tape, you know, for around a good level, that's great. But, you know, sometimes we're not and I'm just trading off a of flow. I can't trade on, a, you know, a, an exchange interface like I need a ladder. Um, because otherwise sure. you're just not the, after trading with a ladder, you know, you trade on TT, you know, like it's, you trade on a crypto platform and it's, it's a joke. It's, it's unbelievably terrible. It's I use like, TT and TradeStation for everything. Even if you're a retail trader trading on like, um, Thinkorswim's platform, like the amount of features, for example, you know, order execution types, time and force, all that stuff. Like, I feel like crypto exchanges, they didn't integrate that stuff in the beginning because they didn't want anybody to have any kind of measurable edge against them. Um, and that's just like my, like my, my secret belief about that. But it's also obviously, you know, it, it requires a little bit more programming on their side. And I feel like a lot of them just use the same kind of shell for their exchange. Yeah, um, totally. But 
And even also like when you're operating on the exchange platform, if you're using the exchange page, like the web-based browser, it's a completely different experience than if you use some kind of API integration. Like it, it, it's, a, it's an experience that's measurable. And if you're trading lower timeframes, any kind of latency is not something that, you know, any kind of latency is going to eat into your bottom line. Um, so yeah, this, you know, the market is, it gives, you know, it's the, as I said, it's like the easiest poker table to play at um, compared to, again, trading traditional markets, but it has like all these details that you have to, you have to put up with and find a way to deal with, because again, they're, they're kind of, um, yeah, it's like, like I said, the exchange platforms for the most part, they're like a joke. No, no doubt. Well, I got to tell you, man, it was so great to have you here today. I mean, really a true education on how, I mean, just trading Bitcoin. I mean, it's, I've talked, like I said, I've talked with a lot of people about trade it. Your perspective on how you go about it was very different, very educational. I think that a lot of traders out there are going to get a lot from this. Where can people go to learn more uh, about you? Give us Twitter. I don't even know. Do you have a website? I've never been to it. If you have, I'm trying to remember if you do or not. They could just go to my Twitter. Yeah. I put together a course like two years ago on profile and order flow. Um, there's a community around it. You can find it through my Twitter. It's blockroots.com. Um, but, you know, the thing is like a lot of new traders, uh, when they want to learn how to trade, I, I can't immediately put them in that direction because I, I think you have, there's so much you obviously have to learn before jumping right into what is a little bit more um, in depth, even though honestly, Profile is a very simple tool. It just organizes the data in a way that's really easy to read. You pick up on context immediately. Um, but yeah, my Twitter is a, a useful place, I guess, to go. Cantering Clark, everybody. Yeah, and just going back to the tool, final thoughts for that is just that you, you got to make the tool your own. I mean, look at what you've done with it and the way you're going about doing this and finding edge. Just, you know, it's, it's homework, man. That, like, I, I appreciate that. I, I think it's very interesting. I know I learned a lot. I mean, definitely the one thing I'm going to be looking at that you mentioned, I wrote a note of to be looking at is the increase in price versus the open interest. And I'm going to be looking at, you know, the futures versus the spot and see how that is. It's, I think it's, I think for the way you explain it, it it's very telling on why the market is doing what it's doing uh, for it. So I'm definitely going to put that in my tool bag, man. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was a pleasure. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Make sure you follow Ryan on Twitter. Like I said, he was one of my first follows on bitcoin and after speaking with him today you could see why i mean he just gets it man so thank you all again for joining me this week uh for the live stream remember it still will be available on itunes everywhere where you listen to the podcast and it will be the recording will be on youtube see you guys next week thank you for listening to futures radio show if you enjoyed the show please leave a five-star review on itunes never miss an episode Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.